3: The Euros All Access podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. Before we kickstart today's episode, I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the Vauxhall ELCV range. If you don't know what I'm referring to, it is the best selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V-Range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van. With an electric range of up to 261 miles, and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you are already thinking of making the leap to an all-electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply.
4: This is a Game Day podcast from Talk Sport.
1: Hello and welcome to a special international edition of the Game Day podcast from Talk Sport. Joining me, Alex Crook, to look ahead to the return of the Nations League and look back on another agonising night for Scotland for the former England World Cup star Trevor Sinclair and the man we call the Yoda of the European game, it's Kevin Hatchard. Plus, Talksport Scottish correspondent, David Tanner, has put his hankies away to reflect on what went wrong for Steve Clark's side as their long wait to grace the World Cup stage continues. And of course, we'll be paying tribute to Ukraine's heroes and previewing their Qatar decider against Wales. All that on the podcast that isn't afraid to stray as far from the line as Craig Gordon. This is Game Day from TalkSport.
3: This is Game Day.
1: Hello and welcome one and all. Club football may be on the back burner for a few weeks, but we haven't slipped on the speedos and flip-flops just yet. Well, not all of us anyway. Trevor and Kevin, you might have to help me stay awake for this one, having been affected by the airline chaos en route back from Portugal and only arriving in the early hours of Thursday. I trust you guys are more refreshed?
0: Very refreshed, thank you. Uh, I had a lovely stroll on the beach in St. Anne's earlier and um, yeah, looking forward to this podcast.
1: Good to hear it, good to hear it. Well, there's some massive games in the Nations League this weekend, we'll be delving into those uh, with the help of Kevin a little later, but let's start, shall we, at Hampden Park and Scotland's 3-1 defeat at home to Ukraine on Thursday Meaning the Tartan armies wait to see their team at the World Cup for the first time since 1998 goes on. Uh, David Tanner was there for Talk Sport. He did say if Scotland lost, he might be otherwise engaged when we record this podcast, but he has been uh, brave enough to join us. Uh, David, what went wrong in your opinion? Did Scotland freeze or were Ukraine simply the far
2: superior footballing side? First of all, I'm doing you a favour doing this today because I've been spending most of the day returning my sunblock, uh, the factory 60 that I bought for Qatar. <laughs> it's gone back to boots. So, yeah, listen, I, I think Scotland last night were blown away. Um, we wondered what the moods would be like and how the Ukrainians would harness that emotion that um, I felt from the supporters when I was uh, walking... Through uh, Glasgow City Centre and up to Hampden Park, Um, we saw Oleksandr Zinchenko crying like a child. Um, He was really weeping um, in the pre match press conference at Hampden Park. And we thought, are they going to be in the right state of mind? They emerged from the tunnel at Hampden Park, backed by 3,500 fans who, as you would expect, were very noisy, very colourful, many of them refugees. Uh, from the war, some orphans uh, of the war who had been invited by the Scottish FA as as guests uh, on the night. Players came down the tunnel, wrapped in the now very familiar Ukrainian flag. They had it on when they belted out the national anthem and boy, did they belt it out lustily. And really, if you thought that was emotional, if you thought they were pumped up then, the game kicked off and they took another took it up another level. Five minutes in, Yaramchuk uh, was fouled for absolutely battering Billy Gilmer. Um, six minutes after that, Malinkowski um, knocked uh, Lyndon Dykes uh, into another postcode. So they were really, really up for it. And I'm not sure Scotland were allowed to get going. We can talk about tactics. And I know that we will, but I thought this was a, An evening where a nation um, and its footballers stood up to be counted. An act of defiance uh, against all that's been going on. And Scotland just happened to be in the way. And by the way, they're a bloody good team.
4: David, it's really interesting one this for me because I think you're right. I think I wondered in the opening exchanges, are Ukraine a bit too pumped up because of those challenges you mentioned, especially the Uremchuk one? But I thought they settled incredibly well. I know Scotland came into this in incredibly good form, uh, especially towards the end of the qualifying campaign. But I just wonder if we ask a little too much of them to some extent, because you look at that Ukrainian side, Zinchenko has just won the Premier League with Manchester City, plays at a very high level for a world-class coach. Malinovsky has played Champions League for Atalanta and has played at a really high level in Serie A you've got some hugely experienced players in there. Juremchuk has scored in the Champions League for Benfica this season. And Scotland don't necessarily have that many players playing at that kind of level. Is that fair? Um, I would disagree
2: with you on that, actually. Uh, Jan Malenko, by the way, it was his 45th international goal. I mean, that's more than double the amount that uh, our joint top goal scorers, Kenny Doglish and, um, and Dennis Law got. Um, no, I mean, we last night we, we put a teenager in who's been starring in Serie A, Andy Robertson played in the Champions League final. Scott McTominay's at Manchester United, uh, I, I still believe that's a badge of honour, um, Callum McGregor, for me, Scotland's player of the year, he certainly was for the, the players, Craig Gordon, the, the football writer's player of the year, um, Billy Gilmer's got a Champions League medal, um, you know, there's some, some terrific players in there, I would have, you know, um, I would have to say... If Andy Robertson is uh, the Premier League's best left-back, he didn't show it last night. I think Scotland missed two of their best players. Uh, on the right, Nathan Patterson, who I know has not been playing for Everton, but he's never let Scotland down. In fact, he's been terrific. And on um, centre-back, our overlapping centre-back, Kevin Tierney, um, was missing as well. And I think we need all of our best players, Kevin, all on the pitch to do really well, particularly on big nights when there are big, uh, when there's a big opponent and, a, and a, you know, an opponent with, uh, with, with so much to prove and with a, with a decent amount of quality in the squad. So this is a really good Scotland team. Um, I didn't mention John McGinn there who's got 12 international goals. You know, th- these, are guys, um, these are guys who've got to the finals and th- they improved on the back of the finals. Remember when Scotland won in, on penalties in, in Serbia, everything changed that night in belgrade suddenly people could stop talking about it's been 22 years since we were last at a major uh, championship finals because they, they they sorted that out um the, the world cup um in Pasco's it gets gets bigger it's just you know suddenly 24 years and that's very very upsetting but um, this, this is a decent Scotland team. I'll tell you what, though, they just didn't perform and a lot of key players did not perform and, I, and, and, and that, I think, for me, um, that, for me, is the big disappointment because it took them an hour to, to land the punch. Trevor, in a way, I think David has almost highlighted the, the problem with
1: Scotland there because none of the players that he listed as being top quality are mm-hmm. strikers and they've got Lyndon yeah. Dykes who... To be fair, has scored some big goals for Scotland, many of them from the penalty spot. Shea Adams, who doesn't score regularly enough for Southampton and Dykes had a pretty disappointing end of the season at your old club, QPR, as I'm sure you'll know. Is that the big issue for Scotland when it comes to sticking the ball in the back of the net, that they just don't have the the quality? And with that in mind, should Steve Clarke have started with the two strikers or should he have gone with a more uh, five-man midfield to try and stifle that area for
0: Ukraine? Well, that's where I thought Ukraine uh, won the game. I think, obviously, you look at the emotion um, and how galvanised they were as a, as a team, as a unit, as a squad, as a nation uh, going to Hamden. And I mentioned this um, on Wednesday uh, with Sam when I was talking on the Jim White show. Um, and if they had uh, got that energy together and managed to control their emotions I thought it was going to be a very, very difficult evening for Scotland and that's just how it turned out to be but when you look at the tactics when you look at the formation they had the three men in midfield um, Zinchenko at the top of that who I thought was outstanding and uh, epitomised everything that Ukraine represented on the evening and uh, they, were, they had too much and they took control of the game in that area of the pit and we've seen this many times at international levels uh, especially with England where we've gone against a team and played with a two-man midfield and uh, almost give control of possession of football to the opposition. And uh, I thought it was a, I, I thought it was a fundamental error uh, playing two strikers for Scotland last night, you know, and especially when you've not got a lot of goal for it anyway. Uh, but I agree with you, Dykes has had a really difficult and disappointing second part of the season with Queen's Park Rangers. Um, and you look at Shea Adams, he doesn't score enough goals. And if you're not going to score goals and you're going to concede two, it's going to be a very, very difficult evening. And that's how it turned out for Scotland last night.
2: Trevor, I hear what you're saying there. Um, I like the fact that the two up front to try and land a punch because it was a game where was, he's been criticised, Steve, particularly in the opening game of the Euros uh, against uh, the Czechs, which, which Krooky commented on, yeah. where he was, he was too negative. So I respected that he went for it last night. Um, I hear what you're saying about the goals in the team. I've got the squad list here. Shea Adams has got four goals and 15 caps. Jacob Brown of Stoke has got two goals and uh, sorry, two caps and no goals. Uh, Ryan Christie, 28 caps, four goals. Uh, Lyndon Dykes, 22 caps now, six goals. And Ross Stewart from Sunderland is yet to play. Um, so your um, crookies question about the goals being a problem is absolutely bang on the money. But they have got by. Um, they've had a lot of one 0s and you know the uh, Linden Dykes uh, during qualification was terrific. Um, so, listen, I, it turned out to be the wrong decision, um, but I think I can understand why. Why? Why?
0: I, I can understand, well. David. But if you've got a, if you've got a free man field which are going to control the game, in, yeah. in my opinion, uh, why wouldn't we play a, if you still want to have that up to, play for 3-5-2? So you've got mm-hmm. the wing backs, you've got the width, you've got the free in midfield to oppose their free in midfield, mm-hmm. and you you stop them controlling the game. And you know, I think that's how England would play, they might play for free um four-free. Um, but I just feel three, five, two is a great option if you want to counter uh, counteract to a free man midfield against you, who are very good technically on the ball. And with with, like I said, Jinchenko in the in the middle, lays
2: had a fantastic end to the season for Manchester City, and he continued that form for um, Ukraine last night. And Trevor, I think they got better when they reverted to a back four later on um, and that allowed Scott McTominay to move from the, the centre-back role that he was in, in that three, to a more natural midfield mm. position and suddenly Scotland had a bit more uh, bite about him. But listen, Billy Gilmer did not show up last night, possibly on the back of that uh foul Ch- uh, early on um, when he landed in his head. Um, And a couple of those early bookings could easily have been Reds, by the way. And Lyndon Dyke should have been sent off um, before you interrupt me, I I admit. Um, Billy Gilmore didn't turn up. Um, John McGinn had his worst game in a Scotland jersey. Um, Mm -hmm. And in 45 caps, he's not had very many of those. Um, Callum McGregor, um, who's been terrific all season for for Celtic. And I I said earlier, he was my player of the year in Scotland. And there was some decent competition from uh, Tavernier and and Craig Gordon, for example. Um, I thought he was the one guy in that midfield area who got pass marks. But too often they were overrun and they were really susceptible, Scotland, uh, to balls over the top, particularly in the first half. And and of course, that was what led to that super goal, the opening goal Mm -hmm. by Yarmolenko. At least Graeme Souness will be happy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> oh, what? by the way, that narrative was absolute nonsense. <laughs> uh, absolute nonsense. Last night was not a humanitarian <laughs> exercise, it was like a sporting encounter. Yeah. Um, so, this whole thing about giving them a free pass um, at Scotland's and Wales' expense, um, you know, you'll have to leave me out of that one. But uh, by the way, it was lovely to talk to so many of the fans last night for Talk Sport who um, enjoyed coming together. A lot of them up from London. I spoke to some from New York who'd flown to Glasgow for the game and uh, are staying on there to go to, to Cardiff. Um, it was a real coming together for them. Um, but before the game, they were all saying, thanks for your support, but we're gonna, we want to win this as well for sporting reasons.
1: Well, they could afford the airfare, couldn't they? Because they knew they wouldn't have to spend any money to travel to Qatar. Uh, probably too soon for that. Uh-huh. Um, but, but, you, but you mentioned that those Graham Souness comments and I <laughs> thought it was wonderful uh, what the Scottish FA did in terms of leaving a, a Ukraine flag on every seat. But... I'm not sure the Welsh FA will be inclined to do the same, Kevin, because I do wonder if that sort of partisan approach in terms of supporting Ukraine, I fully understand it, because obviously what's happening over there is far more important than the trivial matter of a football match. But did that in some ways
4: negate Scotland's home advantage? I don't think so. I think once the game, I mean, David will know better than me, having been there, but I think once the game started, I felt the support was more than adequate. I thought it was what we were expecting from Scotland. And I think it was interesting that the Ukraine coach made, um, made a point of really saying, look, we've been welcomed before the game, after the game. People have been coming up to me in the street. And, and I think that reflected very well on Scotland uh, and indeed the city as well. I think in terms of the game itself, I think that would actually detract from ukraine's performance if we were to say yeah. that scotland were in yeah. some way not as intense as they should yeah, yeah. be i thought ukraine were fantastic i think actually the key moment for me was early in the second half because steve clark had made this change to try and beef up the midfield a bit try and get maybe ryan christie acting as a link and dropping in a bit to try and help out in that midfield area and yet ukraine put together a 24 pass move and that led to uremchuk's goal and i just think they pressed very well. They used the ball very well. They were just a better team. So I don't think it's necessarily about Scotland, you know, extending the hand of friendship. I don't think in the end that made any difference to the game itself.
2: No, you're right, Kevin. They got battered at points. Um, I was there uh, live on Talk Sport last night and I mentioned that uh, Scotland had a shot on target. Ukraine had had six just as Scotland finally got their first shot on target. Um, so... Um, no, they were battered. I mean, they were absolutely battered. Um, so players didn't turn up. Players looked out of form. Um, I, 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 I don't want to oversimplify this and say it was, it was nothing to do with the tactics. Clearly, the tactics uh, didn't work. Um, but there were some guys there who just um, were so far off it, they were almost unrecognisable. And this is a Scotland team that we've learned to trust. They've had a terrific couple of years. They've grown as individuals, have grown as a team better players have come in, but the reality is last night they were so far off it in so many departments. Uh, you know, it was, uh, um, uh, you know, and, and missing the good players. I say I keep going back to that. We do need our best players. And with respect to Liam Cooper, I think he's as good as uh, Kieran Tierney. Young Aaron Hickey, who's still a teenager, although he's doing well at... Uh, um, Bologna, and, and he might well be an Arsenal player next season. You know, playing at the right instead of his normal left back place. He looked uh, uncomfortable for a lot of the game. Came into it a little bit later when the when the formation and the, the shape changed. And uh, who knows? Maybe even the the five outfield players who uh, who play their football for Ukrainian teams. Maybe they um, maybe they were starting to, to slow down a little bit. But um, the the reality is, um, we we were well off it and they were fantastic.
0: Ramsey now inside the
1: box, he's done it! Aaron Ramsey score! What a crucial goal for
3: Wales! We want to keep the environment exactly the same. There's nothing different about how we're going to plan,
4: how we're going to train. Pulls it
2: back and Yarmolenko strokes
4: it beyond the goalkeeper.
2: The Ukrainians can celebrate and they head to Wales on Sunday and the playoff final. They all 1-1, brilliantly timed
3: run. We thrive on occasions like this. We've done it in the past. So, my saying again, if it's not broke, don't fix it.
1: Trevor, let's move it forward to the weekend. Uh, Wows lying in wait. The winners will take the final spot uh, at the World Cup. How much emotionally and physically would last night have taken out the Ukraine players, bearing in mind that half the starting lineup hadn't played any club football since February? Yarmolenko used sparingly
0: by West Ham. Can they go again in such a short space of time? They can, but it will be difficult unless they're going to rotate um, certain individuals. And as David just mentioned there, the latter part of the game, Scotland did get back into it. Uh, McGinn's chance, you know, you just you can't understand why he missed the target with that header. Um, and they could have clawed their way back into that game. Um, that was the effort from Scotland, although probably wouldn't have deserved it. And in the end, um, lost out to, for 3-1. But you look at the way um, that Wales play um, with the three at the back or 5-3-2 or 3-5-2, depending on in and out of possession. I think it's going to be very difficult because you look at the players that have been in form, uh, Ben Davis. Joe Rondon, Roden at Spurs have been have been great. Um, but throughout the team, I think they've got a lot more experience of players in the Premier League. Obviously, uh, Gareth Bale's their the talisman. man. Aaron Ramsey, he, he'll probably feel like he's got a little bit of unfinished business this season after missing the Europa League final penalty, which uh, ended up being the, the vital penalty, penalty that Rangers missed. And I think they'll have a bit between their teeth to want to do well in this game. And I think it's going to be a much sterner test For the Ukraine, especially on the back of of putting so much into the game against Scotland and getting that win.
4: I think what will be really interesting actually is how much of the ball Ukraine can have because I think they'll want a lot of it. I, I think that will help them physically. What they did very well against Scotland was pressed at the right times and with the right intensity. And we talked about Billy Gilmore not getting into the game. Callum McGregor played okay, but maybe not at the level that he can do. And Ukraine's press was a big part of that. There was no way of them getting out and I think that's going to be really interesting. If Wales can kind of disrupt them, not allow them to knock the ball around with the same freedom as they did against Scotland, then I think that is going to disrupt them and give Wales a much better chance. Kevin, so, just on I the back that's... of that,
0: just on the back of that, I think Keith Moore's going to play. I think if they try and press Wales, um, Wales will play the three because I think mean, plays likes playing with the three at the back. They'll, they'll match them up in midfield and they'll have Keith Moore plus one up top. And I think that will be a fantastic formation to uh, give the Ukraine side a real big problem because they won't be able to press the same way. They won't have control of the game in the middle of the park and they'll have a problem to deal with at the back.
4: Yeah, so I think that is going to be important. The other thing as well, I think, that's important, and we saw this against Scotland, they've got some really good players they can bring on. Mikhailo Mudrik was excellent when he came on. There was one pass outside of the boot that was outrageous. It really was. And he, we think, is going to sign for Bayer Leverkusen in Germany. He looked great. Dorf I thought, did well when he came on uh, as an option up front as well. So, Shaparenko's a lovely player to watch. So, they've got options if it's not going their way, if there are a few tired legs. So, uh, you know, petrakov has got some um, golf clubs in the bag if he needs them.
1: Even more will be Massively high in confidence as well after scoring a couple of huge goals for Bournemouth at the end of the, mm. the club season, not least the goal that took them into the Premier League. Uh, Wales rested players and still performed pretty well, Kevin, against uh, Poland. Uh, Gareth Bale and Aaron Ramsey, uh, you would both expect to, to start this game. Actually, I'll chuck this to David Tanner as he's our Scotland correspondent. Any concerns about fitness when, when it comes to Aaron Ramsey? Because he obviously hasn't played too much for Rangers.
2: Well, Aaron Ramsey this season has played a total of 23 games for Rangers, Juventus and Wales. He's finished 90 minutes in two of them, both of them for Wales. So I think he did look off the pace. He looked fragile. There were some moments of, you know, of Aaron Ramsey um, skill. um, But I thought he looked way off it for much of the um, short spell at Rangers. Um, there were periods of injury, there were big games that he missed, and of course it was a Europa League final, and of course that could have happened to anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, missing he was brought on to score the penalty right on the end of of um of extra time and and came on and, and missed it. Um I actually I actually had a recurring dream this week that um Scotland would win against Ukraine and then head down to Cardiff and lose on a shootout with the winner scored by Aaron Ramsey. <laughs> um so I, I I don't think um, I I wouldn't have been hugely concerned about him. Um, I, I think the difference between Scotland and Wales would have been Gareth Bale, um, and uh, you know that, that, if, if he could have produced one of those magical moments, that might have been the difference. Um, so, having seen Ukraine close up, I would be very worried for Wales, um, mm. even though the, the passion in that stadium in Cardiff is, is second to none, and. Um, you know, in in British football, it's um I would be I would be worried about them, but certainly Aaron is. You know, it's been a it's been a, a fairly um, forgettable twenty twenty two, and I'm I'm being polite and as uh, respectful I can be for a, a top player and someone who, having interviewed him a couple of times when he's been in Scotland, conducts himself um you know like a, a real professional.
1: Gareth Bale, MBE, as uh, we should now call him, uh, awarded for services. To golf courses, now
2: to football and, and charities. So <laughs> by the way, congratulations, uh, to.: By him. the way, Alan Ruff, uh, congratulations to Alan Ruff, um, Scotland's World Cup goalkeeper, who sold the jerseys at Argentina '78. Ruffy uh, got an MBE last night, uh, so congratulations to him. Um, I think it's for playing golf and drinking pints of lager, but, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but well, well done to Ruffy.
1: If that was the case, then I think mine's in the post as well. <laughs> uh, but final couple of questions, David, before we let you go. Uh, what does the future hold now for Steve Clark? Are the, are the Scotland fans still behind him or will, will there be some... Question marks about his future.
0: And just on the back of that question, please, uh, David, mm-hmm. was I wasn't sure was was Stephen Reid involved because obviously he, he won promotion with Nottingham Forest. I think he's been a big part of what Steve Clark's done with the Scotland team. Was he involved last night, or or has he now decided to stick with Nottingham Forest? And, yeah, and not, he he, he, st-
2: he stood down after mm. the uh, after he got the job at Forest, um, and uh, I was sorry to see him go. Uh, Stephen Naismith, who just retired at Hearts last year, former uh, Everton uh, Rangers man, um, is number two now, along with Chris Woods, uh, former England goalkeeper, um, is is part of the the coaching team uh, for this particular season. So to answer your question, um, I think there's still a lot of respect for Steve Clark. I'm speaking for myself here, but I've not heard anyone say anything to the contrary. Um, As I say, he's, he's been transformational um, as a coach um, for Scotland, he is a steady Eddie, vastly experienced. Um, I did an event in Glasgow a couple of weeks ago with uh, with Rued who spoke of him, you know, being an exceptional teammate and being an, an exceptional um, individual um, in terms of his coaching now and also his calmness under fire in the dressing room, um, and certainly. Um, that would be my view of them as well, and I don't think there'd be any, any threat. I mean, to quote Steve, they've just got to get back on the horse. They've got the, the Nations League, which um, has the full respect of the Scotland support, given it was the Nations League that helped get us to the last European Championships. So they'll get back on that. It's Armenia. It could hardly be less glamorous uh, than that, but they'll, they'll get stuck back in there. Um, and, and get on with it this week. So um, we're hoping that we'd have five games this month. It's just going to be four. Um, so I, I, I'd be interested to see how many of the players, like Andy Robertson, who looked knackered last night, and I spoke to him after the game. Um, I mean, geez, I mean, what a ten days he's had losing mm. the league, uh, losing the European Cup, and now being knocked out of of the World Cup. I mean, if ever anybody deserved a break, it's Andy Robertson. But knowing Robbo he'll be back on the, the horse and, and, and back out there. But uh, but certainly I think it gives Steve a chance to experiment with some younger players, particularly their Mania game, um, give a couple of them a rest. And, you know, after these tournaments end, you're often thinking other players who are maybe going to step aside, you know? Um, I think they'll all stick with it. Even, even Craig Gordon, who turns 40 at the end of the year, I think they'll all stick with it for now. Um, and we'll get back on again. But I think everyone's behind Steve Clark to answer your question. And by the way, Trevor, before I go, I think we had a beaten England at the World Cup. Wow. Trevor any retort?
0: If buts, and maybes—we'll never, we'll never we'll know. Never know.
4: <laughs> Luckily, I don't have to back that up with facts
2: <laughs> or evidence of any sort. Uh, so you no, you can no.
4: just say Scotland would have won the World Cup. Why stop there? <laughs> <laughs> that would be just overstating it a little bit. <laughs> go, go the whole hog.
1: Um, let's just very quickly get a prediction then: Ukraine against Wales. Will it be the the fairy tale ending for Ukraine that everybody outside of uh, of Wales wants to see, or will? Gareth Bale and co. just have too much quality. In one word, David, Ukraine or Wales?
2: I hope Wales. I think Ukraine. Trevor? I think
0: Wales, they'll match them with spirit, and I think they've got the quality and experience. Kev? Ukraine.
1: Just. Wow. So that gives me the deciding vote, does it? or? it depends if you go one way or the uh, other it does actually my maths is terrible there that
4: lack of sleep's kicked in <laughs>
1: <laughs> go for Scotland crookie <laughs> I'm going to go for Wales so that, what does that make it that means, yes, man, two, two. there we go uh, David brilliant thanks very much for joining us better luck next time for Scotland though we have been saying that for quite a while
2: yeah 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 I'm off down the pub now lads enjoy enjoy <laughs> oh, David Take good care. to talk to you
1: right let's talk about a team who are heading to the World Cup and is one of the favourites
0: Is 2022
3: destined to be shrined in footballing immortality? A deeper ball from
1: Foden! Oh, what a goal! Harry Kane completes his hat-trick! These next four games are very competitive games and something we, we uh, want to win, really. Really rolling it in left-hand side of the penalty. Sterling! 1-0 to England!
2: All you can do is do what you can to um, help yourself perform to the highest you can.
1: England take on Hungary live on TalkSport on Saturday. It's a five o'clock kickoff. They then travel to Germany in midweek. Kev, I'm sure, is very excited about that game before hosting Italy next Saturday. Uh, Those games are also live on the world's biggest sports radio station. Uh, England did well, uh, Kevin, in the inaugural Nations League, reaching the semi-finals. Not so well last time around. How seriously in a World Cup year do you
4: think Gareth Southgate will be taking the competition? I think you should take it very seriously. Uh, he's spoken about the opportunity to play top-class opposition, and they're going to get that. They're going to get a couple of games against Germany, a couple of games against Italy, and they should relish those opportunities because they've certainly improved under Southgate. That's undeniable. Uh, I think the last couple of tournaments, even though there might be a few regrets about that final against Italy, At Wembley, I think they've shown that England are a very consistent side. I think they play with a clearly defined style. It might not be one that everybody agrees with, but it's one that's been proven to work. And I think teams like England, like Belgium, who we might come on to later, should be taking the Nations League seriously because... They're nations that don't win things very often. And so when you've got a chance to win the Nations League, even though it's not the same level as the European Championship or the World Cup, certainly, you know, you should give your players the opportunity to play semi-finals, to play finals. So I think England should take it very seriously, to be honest. Trevor, I think I
1: probably can predict the answer to this question, but in terms of the squad that Gareth Southgate has assembled for this round of matches, who are you most excited about seeing in action?
0: Um, Well, I mean, looking at the last couple of games England played, um, I was really impressed with Mark Gahey. I thought he he, uh, equipped himself really well. Um, But obviously, you look at Tammy and what he's achieved over in Italy. And um, I I, I said this, you know, when he left Chelsea, one, I couldn't believe that Arsenal weren't in, um, completely in to try and get him because you could see potentially they had, had problems at the centre forward position, uh, especially when teams press them. They struggle to get out the back, play through the lines um, and they need that option to go a little bit more direct. Tammy is that man, you know, he's a, he's a huge, huge guy. But I think under Mourinho, he's gone over there, he's become a little bit more selfish in front of goal. His he, link-up play has always been great and I think he's improved on that again. And I think he's belief. So for me, I'm, I'm delighted that he's had a fantastic season over there. He's got a bit of silverware, scored a lot of goals. He's loved by uh, the fans over there. In Real and uh, I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna relish this opportunity, and I hope he plays. But obviously, the, the main player that I want want to watch, being a, a winger, is Jared Bowen. There it for, is. I've been calling for him to get in the squad for ages. I think he was very close before he got his Achilles injury, which was very unfortunate. But I, I listen. I've heard comments where people say, "Yeah, he's never he's never gonna win you anything." Um, you know, with with uh, with the, with the international side. I disagree. I think he plays with intensity. I think he's got, he's he's an unbelievable clinical finisher uh, and his goals uh, and and numbers that this season in the Premier League, I've backed that up as a fact. I think he's assists as well. And I just think he's a really hard-working, humble player. So I can't wait for him to get the opportunity. And I hope he starts and I hope he plays well and kind of proves me right and a lot of people who doubted him wrong.
4: Tell you what about Bowie, he strikes me as a big game player. Uh, I think we saw against Manchester City, I thought he really stepped up. I agree completely with Trevor about him being a clinical finisher. I think he's great in front of goal. Uh, I like the energy he brings. He's tactically responsible. You ask him to do something, he'll absolutely do it. He can play in that wider role. He can pr- play through the middle. Uh, and I do think it is important. Uh, I've got no problem with Gareth Southgate having a core that he trusts, regardless of what happens at club level. I've got no problem with that. I think the the, the top teams do have that. But I think you always need a few spots in your squad for players who are doing well at club level, and need, that you need to then say to guys, "Look, if you do play well at club level, you are going to get in." So I think it's really important to have a few spots like that. I think, I think it's
0: more important in forward positions as well, Kevin. You know, because yeah. obviously creating is much more difficult, and you get players who have hot spells and and, and that disappointing periods of, uh, um, of form in games and, and, and through period of games and. That's where you need the options. That's where you need that competition for places. You know, Maguire is going to play. Course, he is, he's never let Gareth down. And, and you would say Jordan Pickford and the certain other players that are going to play that are down the span of the team. But going forward, you need that competition for places. And Jared Brown is just listen, Saka's done well at times. Grealish, yeah. even on the right hand side, Sterling. One thing that he does better than I think a lot of him, and you just mentioned the game against Manchester City, he runs in behind without the ball. And any team that try and press England to say, try and disrupt them and their possession and playing play through the lines, if that is a trigger for him to go and run him behind, he will do that and he'll cope, cause problems because when he gets into them areas, like you said earlier, he's very, very clinical.
4: Because the thing about that as well, England defend ever so well. We know that. They're really organised, but it's about stretching the opposition. And we know in that final against Italy, they weren't able to do that enough uh, against a team that was a good side, but not an incredible side, as we've since found out. Uh, just to go back to the point about Sammy Abraham, by the way, I'd widen that out a bit. To Fikayo Tomori, who's just won Serie A with Milan, mm. I'd widen out to Jude Bellingham, who is one of the first names on the team sheet at Borussia Dortmund, and I think there's something tremendous about these guys going to the continent, winning things, becoming mainstays of their teams. And what it shows you is there is more to life than the Premier League. We love the Premier League. It is the world's best league in terms of the the players, in terms of the money available. But there are amazing clubs elsewhere that you can get involved with. I mean, you look at a full Stadio Olimpico chanting Tammy Abraham's name, And with banners, you name it, him singing the club songs. I mean, these are experiences you can't buy. And do you want to be on a bench somewhere or being in and out of a side that's nowhere near winning trophies? Or do you want to win things with an enormous football club? That's what Tamori's done. That's what Abraham has done. Tamori's been doing press conferences in Italian. I think that's tremendous. I think it shows what an incredible young man he is. And I just think these are great examples to set to other players to say, yes, the Premier League is great. Maybe I'll want to go back there at some stage, but why don't I go and try and win something? Why don't I go and get different experiences, broaden my horizons, train with other people? I think it's brilliant for English football. I think it's brilliant for these young players. Trevor,
1: you and I were part of the Commercy team for England's game against the Ivory Coast at Wembley. Jude Bellingham was absolutely terrific that night. I think this is... A massive week for him, a chance to really cement himself in that midfield. I think if England are uh, to justify their tag as one of the favourites for the World Cup, I think he's going to be absolutely central to it. He speaks as well as he plays the game. He did a brilliant uh, interview with our colleague Darren Lewis earlier this week. He was talking about uh, racism and the abuse, saying that some of his teammates after they missed penalties uh, in the final of the European Championships and that does bring me on to the situation involving this game. It was supposed to be played behind closed doors mm. because, of course, Hungary have been uh, punished for racism and other forms of discrimination. But there's a loophole, which basically means there will be 30,000 fans inside the stadium because uh, children uh, under UEFA rules are allowed to attend, but they need a guardian alongside them. I mean, it makes a nonsense of it, doesn't it?
0: It does make a nonsense of it. And um, you know, it's it's not a surprise that UEFA have given them this opportunity to to find a loophole to get fans into the stadium. Um, but what I would say is you're not gonna get the 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 gangs um all together. So this could be a great opportunity for education for the young people that are going and how to act properly at a football match. And I hope that's the way that the Hungarian fans take this. Um but yeah, it's disappointing because it, 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 it. watching from as an ex-player that's played international football that's experienced things that the boys are experiencing for for Hungary not to be punished in the way that they should have been punished it's really disappointing but not surprising but going back to Jude Bellingham I think Jude he mentioned obviously the players that missed the penalties in in the Euros in the summer and the racism that they, they had to endear but also he talks about the inconsistencies you know he, he, he kind of questioned why an official would be involved after being being convicted of match fixing, uh, and then to be involved in a huge game, possibly could have picked his words why, more wisely. But then, you know, there wasn't much um, sympathy for him in that situation. But then, when he's racially abused, the the, the, the federations don't act in the same uh, appropriate way. And uh, I think we need consistency, and we need to, you know, we need the the, the not just. Uh, the Hungarians, not, but all federations to look at racism in a serious way and deal with it in a, in, in a more severe way.
4: I completely agree with Trevor about that. I think football authorities in general are very quick to launch campaigns and put up snazzy social media posts, but they're actually sometimes quite slow to react to these things. I do think you made a mistake with the Felix fire comments. I was, I mean... I'm a huge fan of his. Uh, I'm always very positive about him, and rightly so. I did feel that was an error and that he chose his words very poorly and that it did have an impact on Felix Veyer, And And it's a guy who has been linked with a match-fixing case in the past uh, involved in such a big game. It's legitimate to say that, but you have to be very careful as a player. And when you've just had a massive game that all eyes are on, mm-hmm. you've got to be aware that your words have an impact. And there was a huge amount of abuse for Felix Veyer after that. But look, that, that's an incident he'll learn from. What strikes me about him is how incredibly mature he is. And I was in Birmingham a few days ago and I drove past the mural at St. Andrew's uh, of his. And there was a lot of talk at the time when Birmingham retired his number of how absurd it was. This is a teenager. What's he done? Why are you retiring his number? This is nonsense. I completely get it. Because if I was involved in developing that young man, I'd tell everyone uh, and I would shout it from the rooftops because he's a credit to the, to the club. He's a credit to his family. I, I think he's a credit to our country, genuinely. I think the way he speaks, I think he'll be a great ambassador for football going forward. And as a player... He's tremendous. I mean, an 18-year-old who plays with the maturity, the oomph that he does. I know that's not a very technical word, but you know what I mean. We do. There's real grit about him. He's not scared of a fight. There's real grit about him. But he's a, he's a leader. I think there's players at Dortmund who look up to him already, which seems absurd for a teenager. But you've got a guy like Marco Royce, who's well into his 30s now, lots of experience. I think he treats Bellingham like an equal. Uh, and I think he's going to be the heartbeat of that club next season. I know there's a lot of transfer links suggesting that a Premier League club will sweep in for him, but he says he's going to be a Dortmund player next season, and who are we to disagree? He seems to me like a guy who means what he says. So I think going forwards, he's going to be a really important player for, for England, and I think he's going to be a great ambassador for our sport going forward. I would love him
1: at Manchester United, but that's a pipe dream at this stage. Uh, The FA announcing on Thursday that their captains will wear rainbow armbands for all of the June internationals as they stand in allyship with uh, LGBTQ plus communities around the world. That's quite pertinent as well, isn't it, given Hungary's record in that particular department. In terms of the hosts, Kevin, Adam Solai breaks into their list of the top 10 most capped players In their history, if he was to feature, uh, who are their biggest threats to England?
4: Well, Dominic Szaboslaj, I think, is a really interesting player who can score brilliant long range goals, can come up with something out of nothing. But he hasn't had the best of seasons with Leipzig. He's been in and out of the team. They've had a strange season anyway because they started with Jesse Marsh and it went horribly wrong. They had too much to do in terms of the title race. Domenico Tedesco turned them round and they won the cup and, and managed to qualify for the Champions League. But I don't think we've seen the best of him in a Leipzig shirt, but he's a danger. Roland Schaller's had a very good season with Freiburg. He's a, he's a winger, really, but he can play in a more central role, but he's quick and he makes things happen and he's got a bit of grit and determination about him. And I think with them, it's about the collective as well. I think Marco Rossi's done a good job of... Uh, Of getting them together as a unit. I mean, he's been saying again, we're in a group where we're the weakest and we're expected to finish bottom. He said we didn't give up then and we won't give up now. One interesting name, by the way, is Callum Styles because um, he's. Harry's brother? Uh, no, not quite. Not quite. But he might eclipse him. Who knows? He might become more famous than Harry. Uh, grew up in Berry, played for Berry, then played for Barnsley. Hungarian grandparents. So he is now part of that Hungary squad. So he's doing a Ben Breris and Diaz. So we don't know whether he'll change his name, uh, but uh, he impressed uh, when he first appeared in that Hungary squad. And so it'll be interesting to see if he features as well.
1: Hungary did uh, punch above their weight at the European Championships in that group of death. Kev's already alluded to that. Their recent home record, though, isn't good. Two wins uh, in their last six on their own stomping ground. They were against San Marino and Andorra. England should win comfortably. Any,
0: any dissenting voices to that prediction? Not from me. I think, um, I think ordinarily you would say, yeah, it could be a little bit of a banana skin, but I just think that the consistency of this group under Gareth Southgate is showing the improvements year on year. Um, Obviously the the World Cup semi-finals, the European Championship final. um, And I think some of the players, you know, you look at some of the players within the squad. Jordan Pickford has had a really difficult season with Everton, Maguire, difficult season with Manchester United. And you can go through the squad, there's a few players that might have had difficult times. But I think they've got that spirit when they get back together. They feel wanted, they feel valued. They feel that togetherness in this England squad and they can't wait to get going because they know... They're in a successful side that, you know, a winning machine, basically. And uh, everyone's vying for positions in the team. And uh, yeah, I don't think that England will go into this thinking, oh yeah, we'll win it. Because every position uh, is under the microscope for somebody else putting pressure on that position to try and take it. So I think they'll be on their game. And I think they'll have far too
4: much for Hungary. It's amazing how good defensively they are as well. I think they've kept clean sheets in 16 of the last 22 games they've played. And in their last twenty-three wins inside ninety minutes, kept a clean sheet twenty times. Mm. I mean, they're just extraordinary Brilliant numbers starts. when you think of it.
0: Just looking at it, though, I mean, we have, we have played. Uh, we, we tend to play a four-two-three-one, um, and we have played. I think we've played four-three-three, and maybe even three-four-three. I'd like to have a look at us in a in a three-five-two, just in case we come across in Italy in a final and we're getting done in the middle of the park and we can't keep possession. And just to match up and give us that extra body in the middle of the park, I'd like to see us play with that extra man in the middle in a slightly different formation, just so I know we've got plan A and we've got plan B, but can we have plan C as well? That If we ever get in this situation again where we need to show up in the middle of the park, we can adapt and we, and the players know what they're doing.
1: Just a reminder, that game against Hungary, Hungary against England live on TalkSport 5 o'clock this Saturday. Uh, Jim Proudfoot and Dean Ashton, your commentary team, for that one. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, what Kevin Hatchard doesn't know about European football really isn't worth remembering. So we set him the task of picking out the best of the rest of this weekend's Nations League matches.
0: Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com.
4: Hey, it's Sharon, and here's where it gets interesting. Raise your hand if you want salon perfect nails for just $2 a manicure. Yeah. Me too. With the Alvin June Manny System, you can say goodbye to expensive services that take hours and hours, and love your nails more than ever. I would know. I've been doing it for years. Get 20% off your first Manny System with code Perfect Manny 20 at AlvinJune.com/PerfectManny20. That's Perfect Manny 20 at AlvinJune.com/PerfectManny20.
3: The Euros All Access Podcast is proudly sponsored by Vauxhall. I just wanted to take a moment to make sure that all of our listeners are aware of the new Vauxhall Combo Electric. The Combo Electric is Vauxhall's new compact van that is made right here in Britain at their Ellesmere Port plant. Not only does the new van look fantastic and with a striking redesign, but by manufacturing the Combo Electric locally, Vauxhall is helping to support the British workforce. Local manufacturing also reduces the cost of going electric, making the transition accessible for more businesses. With an electric range of up to 205 miles on a single charge and one year's free public charging included, the new Combo Electric is ready to take on whatever you throw at it. Head online today and see for yourself. Search Vauxhall Electric Vans and prepare to lead the charge. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range. energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply.
1: Uh, Kev, the floor is yours. Your moment to show
4: I know pressure but the bosses <laughs> are listening to this podcast. <laughs> Where should we begin? I think we should start with France-Denmark because I think it's a really interesting game. I think you look at the French they were desperately disappointed with what happened at the European Championship uh, and I still Look back on that and can't believe they didn't win the game against Switzerland because they were in such a good position. Paul Pogba scored that incredible goal from long range, but it all rather fell apart. And I think one of the reasons it fell apart was because Didier Deschamps had made this change tactically to go to three at the back to try and maybe shoehorn in a few more of his creative talents. And that wasn't the time to do it. Uh, And he's persisted with it. And I thought it was really interesting that he talked about Ibrahima Konate, who's had an amazing season for Liverpool, but hasn't got in the squad. Uh, And he said, look, I picked William Saliba, who's been on loan from Arsenal to Marseille and has played really well, actually, uh, for a a pretty strong Marseille defence this season. he said, look, he always plays in the three. But I find it extraordinary that you couldn't get Konate into that squad and you know, you you wouldn't feel that he could play in a three because he's got everything you need. He's strong. He's good on the ball. He's got recovery pace. Uh, he's played for one of the best coaches in the world in the last year. Uh, and he was pretty good for RB Leipzig as well. So I'm surprised about that. <clears throat> I think Teo Hernandez is worth looking at a left wing back. I think he's had a brilliant season with Milan. Uh, if you let him really run at the opposition and try and cover him in that wing back position, he can do lots of damage down that side. Griezmann, Mbappé, Benzema could all play. And I'd be interested to see what happens in the middle of the park, actually, because they don't have Paul Pogba, he's injured. And I wonder if we might see Aurelien Schuermenny, who's had a superb season with Monaco. Liverpool, believed to be very interested in him, but it looks like he might go to Real Madrid. That's been the way the wind's blowing for quite some time now, and he is a fantastic young midfielder who's getting better all the time. I think he's better as a defensive player than going forward. He says he wants to improve that part of his game. But Denmark are are awkward. They're no pushovers. We know that. We know that from the European Championship. Christian Eriksen being back in their lineup is huge, not just from the emotional side of it after what happened to him at the Euros, but also the fact that he's just an amazing player. Uh, I mean, he came back and scored in both of the March friendlies um, against the Netherlands, against Serbia, and he just gives them that little bit of attacking spark that that team needs because they're very well organised the real threat from out wide with the wing backs but they just need Ericsson to make the whole thing tick so I think that's a great game Yeah it should be a fantastic uh, spectacle I mean Kev was just listing
1: off those names that France can call upon Trevor they have to be the favourites for the World Cup as we sit here now don't they?
0: Um, I'm not so sure I think um, you've got a lot of egos in that side um, and you've you've got a manager that seems to um do it his way it's ever as well the highway and um yeah i'm not I, I don't look at them and think great yeah they've got great players, but I don't look at them and think they are the, the most um they've got the best team spirit as as a whole as a as a as a unit, and I always feel there's bits of weaknesses when things get tough um i I feel they can expose weaknesses within that spirit of the side and uh, yeah, that will be tested and it'll be interesting to see how they do. I I think that they should have too much for Denmark but going on what Kevin just said there was, again, they've got an amazing team spirit, Denmark. They seem to uh, play above and beyond where they should as a national team and obviously Christian Eriksen and what happened to him in the Euros and how he came back and yeah, that that, again, you know, we talked about Ukraine and what they're having to play through and, and, and where they're coming from as a group. And I feel, I feel Denmark have got that, that similar kind of team spirit and, and which, you know, it doesn't matter what era of football, if you've got a great team spirit, it can carry you far and it can get you results that you probably individually and, and collectively, when you look at your talent, shouldn't get. But it can get you results in that, in that way.
4: I think Trev's right to talk about team spirit because actually, if you go back to the World Cup, which was obviously a very successful campaign for them winning the World Cup back in 2018, there wasn't really much talk about off the field issues there wasn't much talk about personality clashes if anything it was the opposite they talked about how Paul Pogba had been able to be a really important part of that squad for example and that cohesion but actually towards the start of that European championship campaign all the old problems resurfaced there was that interview that Olivier Giroud gave when he Um, criticised Kylian Mbappe for not passing to him enough, and that sparked a bit of a row and a bit of frostiness between those two. Karin Benzema was brought back into the fold, which was a big surprise to many people because Benzema had been kept out of the um, French picture for quite a long time, largely because of off-field issues. But he was brought back in, and even though he played well individually, did he contribute to the whole... Team ethic. We're not sure. There's um, an open question there. And then there was the talk about Adrian rabio's mother, who started slagging off all the other players after they went out and said, Well, you know, your boy didn't work hard enough. Your boy didn't do this. And so these are all little stories in isolation. But what they do is they add up to an overall picture. So it's on Didier Deschamps really to show that he's got control of this squad. And to show that he can fight those fires, because if he can't, then Trev's right, they're going to have problems. In terms of individual quality, I think they're going to be the best team in the World Cup. And I don't think there's much doubt about that. But are they the best team? And that's something, having proven in 2018, they now have to prove again four years later.
0: Just on the back of that, Kevin, as well, you know, you you mentioned that the best team, I mean, the best team are humble, even when they go ahead. They don't start showboating. And that game against Switzerland, Paul Pogba did showboat. You know, he's doing things, tricks and flicks after he scored that worldly goal. I think top, top players who go on to win these big, big trophies just keep on doing the same thing. And I'm not sure that France have got the ability to stay humble and continue to do the normal things, which do end up winning your stuff.
1: France against Denmark, 7.45 on Friday.
4: Where are we off to next, Kevin, on our whistle-stop tour? Uh, We're off to Italy uh, against Germany because this is obviously of of interest to England fans because they're the other two teams in England's group. And there are some great narratives here because if you look at Germany... I think the change of coach has been massive for them. I don't think anyone should minimise what Joachim Löw did for Germany in his long, long spell at the helm of that team. Obviously, they were World Cup winners. Generally, they had a great record in tournaments. But England stopped them at the European Championship. And before that, they had had a disastrous World Cup. Uh, And I think he probably, in hindsight, did go on a bit too long. Hansi Flick has come in with a fantastic, well-earned reputation, not only as Love's assistant when they won the World Cup in Brazil, but also as somebody who won everything there was to win when he was Bayern coach. He had uh, an incredible, um, if relatively short, spell there. And he might still have been there had it not been for some of the politics at Bayern, actually. And a lot of the key players didn't want him to go. But that change of emphasis and that positivity has completely changed how we look at Germany, or I think how we should look at Germany. Because you look at them now, Manuel Neuer is still an excellent world-class goalkeeper, brilliant with the ball at his feet, still very commanding. You look at the defensive side of it, Antonio Rudiger, I think, has improved as a Chelsea player. We know now that he will play for Real Madrid next season. Niklas Zula, I think, if he can stay fit. Is an option there. There's a young guy called Nico Schlotterbeck who's signed for Borussia Dortmund for next season. He's been superb for Freiburg this season. I think he's the best young defender in Germany. They've got a guy called David Rahm who's been an assist machine. He can play at left-back and I wouldn't be surprised if he is the left-back come the World Cup. And that's before you even get to Goretzka and Kimi in midfield who are a fantastic partnership who've worked well together at club level. You look at Ilkay Gundogan, who's just helped Manchester City win the Premier League in the most spectacular fashion. You've got Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, Jamal Musiala, who is a, a superstar in the making. Yeah. Florian Vietz, I would love to be there, but it's touch and go because he had a really serious knee injury. So I don't know if he'll be fully fit in time. Kai Havertz, I think, could be their nine going forward. Uh, I think that actually might really suit him. Because he's got everything you need probably to play there. He's got the movement. He's got the height. He's got the ability to protect the ball. He's getting better at that, I think. And then there are young guys like Kareem Adeyemi, who's just signed for Dortmund. Young, quick, mobile. I think he's a very exciting young player. And even though he gets derided a lot, Timo Werner, I think at international level, can stretch a defence, can facilitate others. And actually, if he gets into a good goal-scoring streak... You know, he's a streaky player. Sometimes he's awful. Sometimes he's great. But he can make a difference. Italy, though, it's amazing how things can change in just a few months. You've got European champions who then don't qualify for the World Cup. After an unlucky defeat uh, against North Macedonia, let's be honest about that. But they weren't convincing in that game. Argentina have just wiped the floor with them at Wembley. Mm. Uh, beat them 3-0. I think they desperately miss Chiesa. I think he's, a, he's one of the very few players they've got who's got an X factor about him, mm. who's unpredictable. They've lost Chiellini's experience. I think Donnarumma's had an average season with Paris Saint-Germain, made a big mistake against Real Madrid when it really, really mattered. And they just haven't found a regular goal scorer at international level. Guys like Insigne, Immobile have done well at club level, haven't really cut it at international level at the highest level i know it seems weird because they've just won the european championship but wasn't largely down to them truth be told so they've got a fair few questions to answer and i think the biggest question is can roberto mancini who is a brilliant coach no doubt about that in my mind but can he renew this team can he bring in those young players to really freshen things up going forward that game is a
1: 7.45 kickoff on Saturday, so straight after Hungary against England, uh, which, as I said earlier, is live on TalkSport. Uh,
4: final match to look at, Kevin, before we go? I think we should look at a Benelux derby, Belgium against the Ooh. Netherlands. Uh, I think this is interesting for a few reasons. I think the Netherlands, under Louis van Gaal, you've got the situation now where he obviously reveals that he's been battling with prostate cancer, which is... You know, obviously, a, a, an alarming situation. Although he says that the treatment has been going well, he didn't want to tell his players initially. But I think we've talked about intangibles. We talked about that with Ukraine, and you didn't know how it was going to affect them. They know that Van Gaal is only really going to be in charge for the rest of this year, and then Ronald Koeman's going to come back and pick back up the coaching reins. So I think there will be a real desire to to do it for Van Gaal and, and mm. see him. You know, end his coaching career if it is the end of his coaching career he keeps saying this and then keeps turning back up but (laughs) if it is the end of his coaching career what a way to go out if they play well at the World Cup, I know that I can only say so far but I I do think it is an element of this, Uh, I think they've still got some great players I think they've got players in form like Denzel Dumfries who had a brilliant Euros and I think has been excellent for Inter in Serie A so right wing back I think he's great and then you look at Belgium. I, I think it was really fascinating that Kevin De Bruyne effectively dismissed the Nations League and said, look, these are glorified friendlies. You know, are we really that interested? Yes, Kevin, you should be. Because... I Belgium a lecture don't coming anything. on here. Well, I just think Belgium don't win anything. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you are Belgian, and we talk about this golden generation, and we talk about them having come close, and they have... But this is the kind of thing you should look at and think, well, this is an opportunity for us to win something and play, prove that we can win these big games. Look at the semi-final last time in the Nations League. Mm. They were 2-0 up against France and they blew it and they lost 3-2. And that's the kind of game where you need to learn to get over the line. So I do you think it's valuable. In his defence, though, I do think because of the World Cup, we've got this ridiculous situation where these players are out on their feet. They've played so many games and you've got two weeks of top level international football at the end of the season. And this is all because everybody's doing land grabs in football all over the place and nobody wants to row that back. Mm. So FIFA want their bit. They're going to have a winter World Cup and they're going to have it slap bang in the middle of the European schedule. They want that. They also want to have an expanded Club World Cup down the track. UEFA want to expand the Champions League in 2024. And they've got the Nations League, which means more top-level games that Revenue. top players are expected to play. And then you've got all the clubs. You know, you've know, you got the Premier League. You've got you know, all, of the, all the leagues. They're not going to have fewer games. They're not going to suddenly say, yeah, it's okay. We'll, we'll cut down to 18 teams in our league or whatever. And the players are caught in the middle and are just playing game after game after game after yep. game.
0: Well, don't tell Simon Jordan that because he will be saying, just get on with it. You get paid vast amounts of money and you don't need rest. And it's ridiculous. <laughs> the amount of the amount of games that players are having to play. I think it was some of the Liverpool players are up to 70 games or 70 yeah. plus games. I mean, it's, you know, it's dangerous.
4: But I think we else. as a sport need to be, as fans, as media, and as a sport in general, I think we need to be more open to rotation of squads. Yeah. Because I think what happens is you get, Clubs who try to do this and managers who try to do this and they'll make, say, seven changes. And we go, oh, he's made seven changes. He's obviously not taking this game very seriously. And I think we could be a little bit more open. Educated. that kind of thing. Yeah, I think so. Because let's take Jurgen Klopp. Let's take the Southampton game. Look, it worked out for Liverpool in the end, that game. But there was a lot of talk about you know, all Liverpool have made too many changes. What yeah. are they doing? This is a massive game. If they win this, they've got a chance of winning the title. I mean, it worked out in the end and they won, but Klopp afterwards said, well, look, if it went wrong, I'll take the blame. But should there be blame?
0: There shouldn't because- be blame, Kevin, but what, what you do is, and, and you kind of, you make your bed. What Jurgen Klopp and what obviously Pep has done by rotating players throughout the season, you look at the, the forward players um, from, from Manchester City I think all of them played like tw- started 20 odd games each in the Premier League uh, apart from maybe Bernardo Silva and one other and the rest of them were all vying for uh, their starting positions yeah this is you have to do that now if you do that all throughout the season players are not coming in after being out for 3 months not starting the game for 3 months playing you know game after game after game so they're not being slugged to death but they're also not strange, strangers where they've been not getting enough game time so it's getting that perfect balance now if you, if you plan properly and you do due diligence and players don't get injured and you can, can continue to select players throughout the season rotate nobody even blinks an eye to it but I think it's yeah. when you don't do that and all of a sudden the lads are getting into that red zone and you need to make real big changes to the squad and you lose I think that's where the critique should come
1: you can't say we're afraid of squad rotation. No Sam Matterface this week. He's too busy enjoying the Jubilee festivities, but no problem. Uh, hopefully, we still manage to put together uh, a very informative and enjoyable podcast. Sam, we'll be back uh, early next week when we're with you again. Uh, Kev, Trev, thanks for your company. Brilliant as always. Thanks also to David Tanner and to everybody who has listened and continues to download the podcast. See you soon.
3: hope you enjoyed today's episode. Before you go, I just wanted to remind you that the Vauxhall ELCV range is the best-selling electric van range from Vauxhall, which is driving innovation in 2024 with its modern facelifted design and improved electric technology. Now, I know that the transition to an electric vehicle can sometimes feel daunting, but rest assured that when you choose Vauxhall, you're in the safest of hands. The ELC V range is designed to be as accessible as a diesel van with an electric range of 261 miles and with one year's free public charging included, you will find it cheaper to run too. If you're already thinking of making the leap to an electric vehicle, then consider this your official sign. Go online and search Vauxhall Electric Vans today. Vauxhall's best-selling electric van range, energising a better Britain. Terms and conditions apply.
4: Flimsy stands slowing you down? Well, it's time to upgrade. Armadillo builds durable, North American-made tablet stands and kiosks. We're so confident we offer a lifetime warranty. So elevate your business and visit Armadillo.com. That's A-R-M-O-D-I-L-O.com and use code ACast for five percent off. Armadillo built to last, designed
3: to impress.